Hi, and welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today, uh, our guest is Daniel Doron, and uh, we're going to talk about some interesting topics. Um, so, uh, intro uh, elevator pitch for um, your throughput accounting, um, uh, throughput accounting, and uh, r related to mobbing, and then uh, brown money and green money. Uh, so um, maybe first off, uh, you can introduce yourself, Danielle, and and tell yeah. us a little bit about you know your interests and and where you're coming from. Yes, well, uh, um, basically, uh, I, I've been in IT for the major part of my career, and along the way, I did my uh, my CPA uh, to become an accountant. Not so much because I wanted to uh, practice accounting, but because a lot of the applications that I was doing were dealing with accounting, and at sometimes I was just uh, just as confused as the next next person. So I did my CPA. Uh, I, I am a CPA by uh, for all intents and purposes. And uh, now, at the end of my career, I get to use it uh, professionally in the sense that uh, uh, accounting, uh, throughput accounting, that is, is something uh, that is. Uh, part of the theory of constraint uh, from Dr. Eli Gorat. And uh, it is a decision-making arm of the theory of constraint. It is an accounting system as well, a financial application, and also a improvement uh, initiative uh, method. And what distinguishes uh, throughput accounting from all the other improvement uh, initiatives is that whenever you make a decision with throughput accounting, there is this phenomenon of uh, causality. The results will be felt quite rapidly and immediately. And as opposed to the other improvement initiatives that we have, ADCAR, CMMI, and you name it, uh, there's no cash outlay, no green money that is required uh, right at the start, which is very interesting uh, and also attractive uh, because and I, the, the five focusing steps of the theory of constraints, identifying the constraint, exploiting the constraint, subordinating to the constraint, they don't require any money, uh, new money. You can basically take your existing operating expenses, which we may call brown money. And I'll give you an example. If uh, you, Chris, and uh, Austin work, are working at the constraint, and you go for a bite, both of you, from 12 to 1. Well, for an hour, every day the constraint is down and you're not making money. Easy way, no cash outlay. Say, hey, Chris, you go for a buy from 11.30 to 12.30. And Austin, you go from 12.30 to 1.30. And that way, well, you don't get to chat so much at lunchtime anymore, but the constraint keeps humming and uh, it, it doesn't require any kind of investment uh, in terms of green money. And this is what people... Uh, forget to understand uh, is that most of the time CIOs will come and say, I got this $280 million budget and I don't have a dime to spare. Well, that's $280 million of brown money where you can just arrange things, find the constraint, elevate the constraint, and do all sorts of things to basically bring green money into your pocket. All right. So that's the, that's the five-minute uh, introduction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, I think my, my uh, maybe we we should have some terms definitions here because I think a yeah. lot of our audience is, are uh, 
um, have le uh, a little less uh, CPA training, I guess. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you want to run through green money, brown money, even dig into a theory of constraints a little bit. Uh, yeah. And then and then maybe we can start the discussion there. Okay, so basically, uh, illegal rat uh, was a great thinker. And uh, at some point, one of his friends was struggling in the early 1980s, uh, when we had high inflation and high unemployment. And his friend was struggling to, to make money. And Eli told him, let me help you make more money now and in the future. And this is where the five focusing steps came, came about. Uh, Dr. Gorat said, first, identify the constraint of your system. Where is it that um, the bottleneck or the constraint of your system, where is it that stuff tends to pile up and clutter your system? Once you have identified it, exploit it. Make sure that that constraint runs at 100% capacity. Okay, and then there's five focusing steps, but usually f f limiting ourselves to the first three focusing steps is, 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 uh, is enough. And then you have to subordinate to the constraint. You have to do everything so that the constraint doesn't starve and that you don't overproduce. And this is where the brain really gets into uh, uh, a funny exercise is that you have got to understand and learn when to stop producing so that inventory in the system doesn't increase to a, to a level uh, that increases whip and that basically uh, decays the, the time that it takes to take to make decisions and uh, uh, to have a clear view as to what is happening. And oftentimes people say, that's not too hard. Well, it's something that you need to be trained. Like, for example, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, boxers, when they box in a fight, they're, they're, they're meant to be aggressive to one another and really take the lights out of the other opponent. But sometimes you have to take a standing eight count. You got to kneel down, take a standing eight count so that you can keep uh, yourself in the bout. But taking a standing eight count is not in the mentality of a boxer. You see, you got to be trained to do that. It's the same thing in martial arts. Certain times when you're uh, you're in a submission in a position to be submitted and the pain is intense, all you want to do when the pain is intense is scream. You have to train, to be trained, to tap and give up. Hmm. And it's the same thing with knowledge work. When you see that the system is full, the system is, uh, is beyond uh, what it should be, you have basically got to stop producing. And this is what is not easy. And when I, when I watched, uh, I got to, to watch uh, mob programming, a bit and what's interesting is that you got one team so that one team is always a constraint and that's interesting uh, because it's a constraint when you're executing it's a constraint when you're executing and thinking and uh, doing system analysis so it's it's really interesting to see how and when uh, you would uh, see an opportunity for slack and stop working and I was wondering, you know, like, shall the computer be a constraint? That would be stupid, you know, because it, it, it doesn't make sense. So it's got to be the team. And I was wondering what 
who within the team should be kept busy at all times, depending on, I guess, the kind of topic or the kind of user stories you would be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So basically, when you're in business requirements, business analysis, if the DBA is, doesn't work or, or, or is not busy, there's no point in that DBA trying to get to four or five stories uh, upstream to try to do something because it'll create waste. It's better that that DBA just sits, go for uh, big lunches, uh, play squash for uh, part of the afternoon instead of overproducing. And when it's a sysadmin type of user story, then the uh, business analyst can uh, behave in the same way. And that is not easy to uh, basically program into your head. And I was wondering, you guys, if you when uh, what do you do about slack do you see it do you care about it or you just work all the time uh and when you're not busy you're just going to go one or three four five so, uh, user stories up, upstream yeah it's a it's a great question i'll take a first swipe at it but so i'll be very honest i'm very uh new into the world of theory accounting and uh you know uh, theory theory accounting and, and, yeah theory theory constraints. constraints yes and yeah. so but I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I love the, a lot of tie-ins to lean and things like that. And the more you talk and the more I've heard about it, um, the way it relates to me is that, you know, I go back to uh, earlier in my career and an analyst, you mentioned an analyst, an analyst yeah. just sitting there producing requirements, right? Or producing design. Yeah. And then you have this huge pile up of uh, requirements and design and they'll just keep producing them even though there's not enough to, you know, pass on to the next person. And so what I love about Absolutely. mobbing is whether that's front end, back end, database, you know, whatever it is, um, everyone who is needed is there. Yeah. And so uh, there's no queuing and waiting, right? And so uh, the person who has the domain knowledge, let's say, uh, yeah. let's just say an analyst, for, for example, is working directly with the people who are writing the software. And so in, uh, what I think what we do with uh, mob programming that's different than Hey, the analyst did his thing, and he doesn't want to overproduce, so he's going to go take a, you know, a long break or whatever. Yeah, 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 is yeah, that yeah. the the analyst cross trains on the other skills, and instead of checking afterwards, for example, like uh, he's checking as it's being uh, created, and also learning other people's skills. So it's kind of a move towards lean generalists. Um, you still have your specialty, like I love extreme programming, yeah. I love unit tests for factoring but I'm stretching to learn more about cloud or I'm stretching to learn more about the business domain I'm working in. And so uh, basically the, the mob just keeps moving <laughs> and producing uh, throughput um, without waiting yeah. for handoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there, there is a tax to that, you know, in the sense that sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to be left alone and I don't want to teach anyone uh, new tricks. So yes. it's a, uh, it's a it's, it's a sort of indirect tax uh, right but i would say uh, that the important thing is that the, as a nucleus uh, the team uh, that's doing the work has a better chance of keeping an eye on who's straying away too far you know and instead of saying i want to cross train or whatever sometimes it's just like hey i'm taking i'm just not uh, getting involved for the rest of this uh, user story or whatever and i'm 
taking it easy. I got personal stuff to take care of or, 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 or whatever. But the important thing is that <clears throat> maybe one, two, or three people on any given sprint. Uh, you call those sprints, uh, I guess? Uh, uh, in, in our context, we do uh, pure okay. Kanban and pull system, so no sprints. Oh, um, okay. So target scopes type of stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, you know, it's kind of a form of same sizing, I guess, if you will. Uh, okay, so, okay. So bring it down to... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Often it's, it's releasing every four hours to production, something like that. That's what we're targeting. Okay. So that, that's another thing about uh, the theory of constraint and throughput accounting is that we love to play on the time axis. We don't like to play on the scope axis because the scope axis, things can explode in a non-linear way mm. really quick. Mm. If you stick on the time axis, time has a very nice feature in and of itself. It has one degree of freedom. It can go left, right, backward, away. it goes one way. And managing on the time axis is simplifies a lot of things. That's which people do sprints and time boxing stuff just don't get and they they yeah pulling the plug every anyway so uh th that that is a very good thing and that is a thing that is uh, because in the theory of constraint uh, dr gorat said uh, managing on the time axis <coughs> is what it is all about okay mm -hmm. uh because uh, uh it, it, all of the systems are made on uh, on that uh, precept. And for example, uh, if you were to have read the uh, uh, Lean Product Development book by Donald Reinertsen, he has, uh, I think, 175 principles. Everybody knows this book, but this book really is a throughput accounting decision-making book. Because every time you take one of these principles and you apply it, the results are really quick and fast coming. And they impact the three variables of throughput accounting, which is cost, revenues, and investments. Investment, not so much uh, with uh, <clears throat> the 175 principles, but definitely flow time and definitely cost. So these 175 principles are throughput accounting decision-making principles as well. And I have in the book an entire chapter dealing with my new book, which is a Throughput Accounting for Knowledge Work. And I deal with all of uh, Donald Reinertsen's uh, flow principles. And I have Dr. John Ricketts, who Eli Golrat said was the person during his lifetime, because uh, Dr. Gorat died uh, quite a while ago, but he said that John Ricketts, Dr. John Ricketts, applied the theory of constraint like no one did. And he did so at IBM, managing the fleet of consultants worldwide. And I went through all the principles with uh, Dr. Ricketts, and we found if they matched and fit with the theory of constraint, and it does very well, except for four or five major things, it does very, very well. So. Dr. Reinitz, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Ronitson's work uh, really stands uh, up to the test of time. Cool. Yeah, I had a. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I think you all know Dr. Uh, John. Uh, 
Mr. Reinertsen's uh, work. Eh? We all yeah, do. I've uh, I've seen some of his material. It's been uh, very impressive uh, for me, and I think it was you, Chris, who referred him to me. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I had one follow-up question. So you were talking before about uh, throughput accounting being used uh, for improvement, and uh, one thing that comes up that uh, I thought you could you can maybe I would be interested in your comments on. And so uh, I'll, I'll do one analogy that's with education. So if you're educating your kid or a teacher is educating yeah. a class, um, uh, they'll talk about in kind of the education world that sometimes it feels easier just to buy a new curriculum. Like, hey, I wanna make things better. So I'm just gonna buy something, right? It, like I check it out in the store, I walk out with it. I feel like improvement is happening because I purchased something. Yeah. And uh, where turning around and working you know, with your student or your child um, uh, is different. And so I, I wonder if that, you know, cause you said you don't need to buy anything to do improvement via throughput accounting. Is that a challenge for its adoption? I, I wonder because it feels like often, uh, yeah. C-suite yeah, people yeah. want to buy something and be like, Oh, we want to go agile. Let right. me buy that. You know? And so what, how can I pay X dollars to do that now? You know, <laughs> or yeah. something. people always want new toys. Eh? And, uh, <clears throat> Basically, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, the, the concept of wait time and touch time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but basically, there's no, if you buy a new thing, a new toy or whatever, you're going to impact touch time and the way you work, okay? But by improving yourself uh, with brown money, you're basically attacking wait time, the time that you spend not working. And white time like occupies 95% of our time. So if you buy a new toy, you're gonna get an improvement on 5% of your time, which is considering the cost of thing a waste of money because you're gonna change the way you work as well and people resist change. Mm. But if you focus on white time, reducing work and process, uh, uh, finding out where your constraint is, subordinating to the constraint, you're basically shrinking the wait time, which is 95% of, uh, of, of your total time. So the low hanging fruit are there. The only problem is because I lived it, is that people like to have new toys and new money. But it's a road to perdition because the low hanging fruit lie with common cause variation. The, 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 Mr. Reinertsen said, <coughs> if you want to improve and make a lot of money, you got to go at your system as it is and find common cause and fix it. Now, what agile system is built to find problems with common cause? Not a single one. Because what we did, with Agile is that we imported everything from lean manufacturing from Demings. Did Deming care about common cause problems in the system? No, he only cared about special cause because you were always doing a car. There's no problem with the system. Common cause is not an issue. It's when something unusual happens, it's a special cause, you pull the end on card and at work you go to fix that problem. So we imported that into Agile. Not a single, not a single, methodology is built to address common cause, not a single one, except 
guess who? Dr. Goldratt, the only thing that meant something for him was common cause. That's all he cared about. And all of his knowledge was geared to what through finding common cause problems with, with indicator, leading indicator of risk materialization. And at some point, Agile has to wake up to understand where all of its theory comes from and that it's not meant for Agile because Agile, the problems are not with repetitious work. The problems are with the time and the variability that is accumulated with time. And the only one, that, and, and everything that Agile does is to try to kill the variability caused by the passage of time. So you sprint, you stop, you stop, you stop. And every time you stop, it causes a lot of problem. But if you have a nice system that tracks common cause, the passage of time is not so much an issue. And, and, and this is where people have to realize that it's time to throw all of the agile books in terms of execution out the window. Well, basically there's none in terms of execution. There's no book on execution. Donald Reinerson does a pretty good job with his book. Uh, but aside that, nobody cares too much about common costs, uh, finding systemic problems to fix them. Yeah, and, and I think the, the word agile is difficult because it's hard to know what we're, we're talking about exactly. So um, uh, maybe if we get real concrete, you could, you could help me out. Uh, so what's an example, let's say a, a, soft, a company that's developing software as a product. Um, what's like an example of like a common cause uh, that you're, you're trying to identify, I suppose? Okay, well, a common cause would be a problem that, that is linked, uh, that is systemic, that is linked with the system. It's things that happen uh, now and then, but that you can't quite put your finger on, okay? Mm. Special cause is very clear. It's all, oh, that's what it is, okay? It's not systemic. It's something that you can point your finger at. Oh, there, there was a power failure in the city and there's no production today. When you're asking me about software development and common cause, is that there's are, there are very few things that can help you track uh, uh, common cause uh, what well, there are in, in the sense that uh, uh, everything that uh, is able to self-check the system right to self-correct to self-detect uh, these would be attributable to uh, common cause but in terms of knowing if you're overproducing uh, if you are uh, 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 when it is time to start work, when it is time to stop work and give you the signals to do that, there isn't much. And if you don't have these things, you will always tend to overproduce. And to be in a local optimum wor uh, world, like the business analyst uh, will try to do as much as they can and uh, have as many business analysts as they can so that they can have, they can be king of all the other functional areas. The same with the DBAs and the same with uh, the other people. But there are good systems in terms of deployment, for example, that I can think uh, that can deal with common cause. But when I think of Agile in general uh, and the way we develop software and are we overproducing, are we going fast enough? And what is our capacity? 
Okay, so there, there I'm going to ask you a question. Now I'm going to go back at you, Austin. What system do you have that will tell you what is your capacity? Tell do me you me. know your capacity? You don't. Nobody knows what their capacity is. No one. Because <clears throat> we live in a world where we think that capacity is only a one-edged uh, one sword, like it is what we have and it is what we produce and this is our capacity. And nobody cares about capacity in the world. No one company cares, except armies throughout the world. They have to know what they're able to do. But in terms of companies, very few treat capacity like the theory of constraint does. Like the theory of constraint says, okay, you've got productive capacity, that is for the, for the constraint to function. Then you have protective capacity to protect the constraint, the constraint from starving. And then you have excess capacity on top and above where Slack lives, you know, and Slack is essential for, uh, for high performance uh, company. So where would you have a system in computer engineering that will help you manage these three types of capacity, which are essential for high-performing organization. Well, there's none. Okay, uh, sorry, but I think there's none. Am I right? Am I wrong? Well, I guess I'm not exactly sure what you're you're saying. Um, and one okay, thing okay. that you can help me with a little bit. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a learner in this world, right? But I yeah, see but a lot me too, of. Me too. I, I'm a, I'm a learner in your world too. So. <laughs> Learn so as we go. In my experience. Uh, the goal, the book, the goal, and uh, Goldrat and Lean. Yeah. I see a lot of people in uh, extreme programming. I see a lot of yeah. synergy, and usually I see people talking about how they are achieving uh, common goals. Um, but the way you're talking about it is that you're you're making them sound like uh, diametrically opposed. Like here's Lean on one side and theory constraints on the other. And uh, okay, I, I guess before I answer some of your questions, I I'd like you to. Get your take on that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I'm oppositional by nature, and we always preach for our own choir, right? So uh, being being lean and being scrum and being that, uh, you're always going to say, uh, my stuff is better than yours. But <laughs> the common goal, the common goal, I, I, I agree with you. But uh, Dr. Goldratt said that the goal, most of the time, would be to make more money. To make more money because with money, uh, not only can you be prosperous and every time, everything, but you can spend more time with your family, you can contribute to society, and you can do a, a lot of things. So, which system would be uh, focused on that? For example, Lean. Lean thinks that uh, you can... You can uh, optimize production by leveling capacity, right? And the theory of constraint says, no, you don't optimize by leveling capacity. You optimize by lowering work and process everywhere. And um, I might be wrong on a few things that I say because I'm not an expert on, on, on Lean, but Lean thinks that leveling capacity is done by leveling the physical capacity everywhere but not the theory of constraint. So these are difficult answer, uh, questions to, to, uh, to answer, but at the end of the day, can you make more money? And 
the reason why the theory of constraint is is deemed as an improvement uh, uh, model is that you're trying to reduce also your cash to cash cycle the time that it takes between uh, you basically start something and the time that you get your money Mm. And uh, people don't necessarily measure the time that, uh, that, that it takes between those two states. So, and very few, very few people do. Yeah, and, maybe, uh, maybe I can dive in a little bit. Um, so, so you had the common causality thing, which I think I, I, I frequently refer to as second order effects uh, often, right? Yeah. So, so um, yeah. You know, you might have a second order effect of a decision made somewhere that caused side effects all across the system. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of backing up to the question of, uh, you know, how do you protect the capacity and and also guarantee slack and, and those sorts of things, right? And so, um, you know, kind of the thing that, that I've experienced uh, that's been pretty effective because I've seen teams that have been completely over allocated, right? It's like kind of the resource utilization. Yes. Um, yes, 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 is, yes, yes. Is, uh, you know, so a mob will, will typically have a, a regular throughput. Uh, every, you know, every incremental addition to a reduction in capacity, you know, basically if, if you don't, write unit tests, you're going to have your capacity reduced because you're dealing with bugs in production, right? So, Absolutely. so if you can get a team down to zero bugs in production that can, uh, that can produce regularly, uh, and automate all of the deployment costs, um, then, and then that team can pull from a Kanban, uh, you know, at, at a consistent rate. And all features are prioritized based on cost of delay, and the um, and, and the incremental components contributing to that cost of delay are are relatively same sized and and deployed yeah, 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 frequently, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, then then you know I a, a a mob right as a unit of work will continue to produce and have you know protected slack time. Um, and, and often, you know, the scenario where people step away or, or stay with the mob, uh, um, mobs are very resilient to, uh, people taking breaks and, and other things. Yes. Yes. So, um, yes. so that, that's kind of how I look at it. Right. So, so, you know, if you practice Kanban limited with, uh, you know, all of these yes. things, then, um, then you, you do end up with a system that can do that. Uh, and, and so. You know, one thing that's really dangerous to to that scenario is somebody saying, "Oh well, can we incrementally add more to the load? Can we utilize more? Yeah, 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 can we yeah, utilize yeah. more? Can we utilize more?" <laughs> Which I think is very common across in, in any business context. I think you yes. know, so so I think uh, you know, I, I was talking to a group of engineering leaders, and I think that the one one kind of hypothesis that uh, was said was that, um, you know, le engineering leadership is con like kind of this, uh, process of constantly, uh, talking about why, uh, the process is effective <laughs> that's being used because there's so much pressure, consistent pressure to increase utilization, uh, you know, in an unlimited way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so so I think there's there's something of like pushing back on external forces as well as, uh, 
is uh, practicing those lean practices? Like that's kind of how I would answer that question. Um, that's very good. And, and I, I agree with you. Uh, <clears throat> one, one of the main benefits uh, of using Kanban systems is that once you're in a Kanban system with, uh, with the capped capacity, this can absorb variability and make sure that you can deliver, okay? Outside of that system, delivery time is unpredictable. Yes. Once you get inside, you get some predictability. So the choice is always yours. You can wait outside the system and inside the system if you don't use Kanban, or you'll always have to wait outside of the system. There's no getting around that. But once you're inside, Kanban system has this, have this very nice uh, attribute is that they absorb variability. Mm -hmm. And uh, they will always do, uh, if you have a capacity restraint system with a pull mechanism, it's a winner, okay? And uh, uh, that, is a, that, that would be a nice, uh, uh, it's a system design. Uh, yeah. But depending, depending on how you use your... Uh, your Kanban system. If you use column whip limits, uh, you're opening the door for common uh, for uh, a special cause variation. Mm -hmm. And if you use a con whip, you know, just a whole an aggregate whip limit, then you're more you're more likely to succeed with uh, without having to deal with common cause variation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, without having to deal with special cause variation. And and I think I've I've seen. Maybe I've, because um, you've talked about, you know, going against overproduction and having whip limits. And I've heard that often talked about in a lean context uh, because of the goal is to eliminate waste, right? Because if you uh, yes. get whip limits, then you're going to prevent the overproduction and things like that. Um, and I think uh, maybe one way to think about mobbing uh, is uh, that we've heard recently is uh, you have the whole system in the room, right? And so, yes, uh, yes. You see, so you, to see, what the effects of the effects uh, that Chris was talking about, and maybe that's what you're getting at with the common versus special. Um, it's much more apparent to a team. <laughs> it's if, visible. If it's visible, it's very visible. Yeah, and yeah. the whole system's in the room, right? Where when the system's disparate, oh, yeah, right. when that's the system's great, disparate, uh, it's really hard to understand the the, the chain reactions. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the whole system's in the room is the ultimate version of. Uh, visualization you know right <laughs> because uh, yeah and uh, but how many how many people can make up a mob programming team that has one computer yeah uh so so my you know so so the throughput right is is not you know for any software development effort is not how quickly you can type into the keyboard, right? No, 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 no. no. Um, it, it's all thought work, and so, so um, we, you know, I think we, we as a group, were very anchored by the Open Space Technologies conferences, where, uh, with the law of personal mobility, um, and so this is the idea that you know, when you're at a conference, at, at an open space conference, if you're at a talk and you're not learning or contributing, then go to a different talk. Um, and you know to try and break that uh, uh, that notion that you have to stay at a conference talk once you attend. Absolutely, absolutely. And so yes. um, you know we have a working rule within our mobs that uh, you know if you're not learning and you're not contributing, go to a different mob. 
And so that means that the uh, the size of the mob can grow or shrink depending on the intensity of the problem. Typically, you know, if if everybody is learning and chiming in, <laughs> learning or contributing, then really the mob can be any size, right? But I get uh, it. the complexity of the problem is going to be, you know, uh, you know, if if somebody can navigate the solution, then then typically it will be a smaller number of people. Um, and uh, you know, I yes. think we found that going down to two has some some unique issues, and so so yes. three is kind of where we sit at for a minimum typically, and okay. and then we we grow to as many people that can learn and contribute. So um, the largest kind of functioning mob that I've been to was an example from a conference where we had twenty people in the room, all using a quantum computer for the first time. And so it was a lot of people, you know, it had a Python API. So a lot of people were trying okay. to saying, do this. I'm researching <laughs> physics. I'm researching how quantum computing work is working. I know API, the API, I'm researching okay. that. And people are just popcorn okay. ideas, right? So that's a large function yeah. mob that is increasing throughput. And then on the other hand, if you have a very skilled group of people working on a series of APIs, uh, you know, you get the benefits of uh, you know, reducing silos and increasing throughput, um, and that can be done at around three people. Um, so, so those are those are kind of typically the two stories that I tell around mob size. <laughs> okay. What I find difficult is that you know people come in and leaving a mob. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in terms of social stress for mm -hmm. the one that are most in demand, they must say, "Come on, yeah, leave me alone." <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that would be my first reaction. Yeah, I don't have time for this. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. possible. And, and it is, I mean, it is something that we do retrospectives on. And, uh, you know, there are definitely people that want to be involved in everything and like to hop yeah. around and others that like to stay focused. Um, and then some people with specialty skills that, that it really requires them to go from mob to mob. Uh, and so what I can say about that is that um, uh, for the people that, I think felt some stress about that. I think commonly yeah. what ends up happening is that they they still feel more effective. Um, and so uh, Aaron Griffith's papers and um, I think really elaborate on that idea, but um, this idea that uh, it might be more stressful, but uh, as a whole system, the system gets a lot more work done and therefore it's, it's more satisfying to be a part of that system. Um, yeah. So, so those are those are kind of you know vague. Yeah, it must <laughs> it must be than that. Yeah, it must be extremely rewarding. I, I must agree, mm -hmm. but uh, for for my liking, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I, I like to have my time and my space to work, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that this is this is mortgaged. You know, when when you work in that type of environment, but uh, I'm not saying that it cannot work, and that some yeah. people just don't enjoy that. You know. So, so if you're building quality control in, and I, you know, I know that we're talking about kind of Deming style lean, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the Deming style lean, there's a lot of like the red bead experiments and yes. Um, and so I think one thing that uh, has been generally accepted by the industry from the red bead experiment is this idea that having multiple people looking at the code before it oh, goes yeah. to production, right? And so, yeah, it's like that time alone, but then you get pull requests, but pull requests can introduce lean waste into the system. Yeah. And so yeah. 
Uh, I think it's just a trade-off, right? And so we have no. a general rule that yeah. working alone is okay as long as you have a second pair of eyes on the code. So pull requests are not required in mobs, uh, but they are required for individual work. And, and that's kind oh, of how oh, we balance oh. that, right? That's that's smart. But hey, listen, by all means, I didn't say that Deming's uh, yeah. <laughs> was not essential. I'm saying so. that a lot of stuff of Deming's did not mind uh, uh, yeah. common cause. Mm -hmm. The thing is great. No, the, the thinking is fantastic. But he was mainly concerned with special cause. Okay, yeah. pulling the end on is special cause. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's all I'm saying. But this stuff gotcha. is just as brilliant as uh, Goldrat or or Ono. You know, yeah. just, you know. Hey, well, and, and the red red beat experiment kind of talks a lot to the. Um, the pressures from management and uh, introducing yes. quality problems and delays and queuing, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, that is sort of a second order effect analysis, but maybe never really is discussed that way. Um, but it's really a good thing to pay attention to explicitly. And uh, like I talked to a lot of people, you know, about um what are the second order effects of this decision and uh yes you know i think very often the answer is like yeah. well i really hadn't thought about the side effect of the side effect of the side yeah. effect going what, to second and what, third order right what i wanted to call those were externalities yeah you know mm. uh, it's uh, like an environment uh, we often talk about externalities mm -hmm. If you go with solar, solar or or wind, there there are externalities that people don't consider, yeah. As well as with nuclear or whatever, and yeah. And, and uh, yeah, a good example of that was when we were all mobbing in person. Um, you know, we we didn't realize that scaling up the team, like we didn't really conceptually when when we were scaling up the team, we were like, oh yeah, a big open space, you know, a lot of noise happened, right? And then we also, when we went remote because of the pandemic, it was like, oh, hey, remote is actually a lot quieter. And so people can th think a lot more, even though you're on a mob remotely. Uh, yes. And and so we've had, you know, like ambient noise levels ha has, has really been a big part of our mob programming journey. Uh, and, um, and so there have been all kinds of things explored because of it. And, and then also, you know, benefits to remote that we weren't really conscious yeah. of, right? Well, one of the big benefits of mob programming is that people don't, don't have a, 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 don't go and bug people, you know, from outside the mob <laughs> yeah. because they, they say, oh man, they're really busy. Yeah. <laughs> I better not go there. So that's one benefit uh, that, that I find is really great. Yeah, yeah. interruptions less, are very less, frequent. Mm -hmm. Less interrupted by the outside world. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, so we are getting uh, close to the end of our time box. Speaking about time, okay. it's that consistent thing that none of us can control, and uh, we're, we're hitting the yeah. end of it. So uh, <laughs> Always in one direction. Yes. It goes uh, in one direction. Yes. But it's quite yes. to manage. Until so we get the... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the one thing I just want to focus on, uh, mention, um, is that... Uh, uh, the one computer thing uh, can be a constraint, but often it's more uh, uh, for mobbing, it's more of a work in progress of one. That's the thing. You can be using multiple computers, but you're working on one thing. Um, oh, yeah, I get it. I get and it. then uh, the other thing, too, is uh, thank you for sharing your, uh, you know, that it may not be your cup of tea. And that, that, that's great. And that's one thing that's yeah, kind yeah. of built into what Chris was saying is that um, 
nothing, nothing is forced, right? It's uh, you're free yeah, to yeah. enter and exit a mob. You go work solo, come oh, back. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. That's 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 yeah. fantastic. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, um, but we are at time. Um, so, okay. is there anything you'd like to plug or share before we close out the episode? Well, officially? I, I got a new book on throughput accounting. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the only one and first one that deals with knowledge work. I've uh, went where no one has gone before, so to speak, because I drew uh, some line in the sense and I extended the perimeter. And the title is uh, Seeing Money Clearly, uh, Using Throughput Accounting to Manage and Understand Knowledge Work. And you can download it uh, soon on every bookstore. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. I learned a lot from this. It's a good stretch for me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a stretch for me too, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So to our audience, uh, you know, we, what are your opinions on the relationships between lean and uh, theory of constraints and throughput accounting? Uh, How do these things interplay? What's, uh, what's your thoughts on that? How does it tie into mobbing and a collective work and uh, really delivering value uh, and, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, we'd love your opinions in the comments on YouTube, uh, social media on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, please share this episode with somebody who you think uh, can contribute well to the conversation. And until next time, mob well and have a good one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you.